0: Previously on Chillingworth. Joe Peel was different from the rest of humanity.
1: He was
2: what we call amoral.
1: Joe seduced a female client while he was representing her. He did the exact
0: same thing with four other women.
1: Floyd was willing to do anything for Judge Peel.
0: So the two of them came up with this bribery scheme which essentially
1: involved Joe as city magistrate shaking down racketeers. And he was in a perfect position to do that because all the warrants had to go through Joe's office.
0: The only thing missing from the plan was an entree into the black neighborhoods.
1: Bobby Lincoln already had a good thing going before Floyd appeared and presented Joe's proposal.
0: He may have looked at his options and realized he had no choice.
1: They had the perfect setup. By 1955, Joe's bribery scheme had become a well-oiled machine. They were taking in approximately $1.5 million a year in today's money.
0: And so Joe felt practically untouchable. Joe eventually became so consumed with what was going on with the bribery scheme that he ended up committing malpractice in a divorce case again.
1: Judge Chillingworth was the one who was going to preside over the hearing Chillingworth was determined to have him disbarred
0: so he decided that Judge Chillingworth had to die answer oh.
2: Olympic. I suppose if they had the daughter there and the whole family, you had to go take the whole family then, after you started it. Because the time I rang that doorbell, if there'd have been 15 people in there, they'd have had to went along. I'm sorry, honey. I mean, you can't say. You, no, you you excuse me, but that was the bad part about it. See. She wasn't supposed to be there.
1: Hi, I'm John Moss. And I'm Jonathan Payne. Floyd Holzapple, wearing a sea captain's cap, walked up the wooden staircase leading to the back of the Chillingworth's house in Manalapan. He had beached his cheap-ass homemade boat, its 1949 Dodge truck engine still running. Floyd told his friend Bobby Lincoln to wait for his signal to follow, then he climbed a second set of stairs to the porch and continued to the front door of the house.
0: Inside, Curtis and Marjorie Chillingworth were asleep in their bedroom. It was just past midnight.
1: Expecting Judge Chillingworth would be wary of a stranger ringing the doorbell of his isolated home so late at night, Joe and Floyd devised a plan that would prey upon Judge Chillingworth's generous nature. The judge opened the door and saw Floyd standing there looking desperate.
0: Floyd told Judge Chillingworth his boat had broken down just offshore and his passengers were still on the vessel. He asked the judge if he could come inside and use the
1: telephone to call the coast guard. Judge Chillingworth graciously invited Floyd in to use his telephone. Almost immediately, Floyd pulled a gun on the judge and told him that this was a robbery. If you
2: walk into somebody's house, say we come to kid, you're gonna have lots of trouble with them. Yeah, well then people frown down on
0: that. Yes. But if it's not rob they're gonna give you money. Floyd is describing the difference between the way people react when you're telling them that you're going to rob them and when you're going to kill them. The judge told Floyd that his wife was in the house and that she was sleeping in another room. Floyd demanded that Judge Chillingworth call out to his wife. He did. At that point, Mrs. Chillingworth got out of bed and walked into the living room.
1: And when she came out, Floyd whistled to Bobby.
0: Floyd and Bobby then bound and gagged the Chillingworths with adhesive tape.
1: And tied a section of the clothesline to each of their necks then ran it down their backs and bound their wrists a second time.
0: Then they led them out the door and down the steps towards the beach.
1: So while the Chillingworths and their abductors were heading down to the beach, Judge Chillingworth loosened his gag, and instead of yelling, he was able to pull Bobby aside and offered to make him a rich man if he'd let them go.
2: He offered you 200000 Well, the son of a bitch got a million, he had a million. Yes? Yes, he did have. So I think he had money there
0: in the house, someplace. Judge Chillingworth clearly became aware that he wasn't being robbed when Bobby refused the money.
1: Meanwhile, Mrs. Chillingworth was being dragged down to the beach by Floyd, who happened to also be carrying a thirty-eight, And somehow her gag got loose and she let out a scream. And that's when Floyd pistol whipped her. As a result, blood was gushing out all over the vegetation on the steps and also on the beach.
0: Then the men lifted their captives into the boat and headed out into the Atlantic. As Floyd navigated the boat away from the beach, the engine started to break down. Judge Chillingworth stunned Floyd by offering him advice about how to keep the engine from overheating. He might have wanted to make himself more sympathetic to the two guys and possibly convince them
1: that they shouldn't carry out the murder that at that point was obviously going to take place. Or he could have been stalling for more time and just trying to think of an escape plan. But it was really just prolonging the inevitable. If you think about it, it would have been a best case scenario just to let the engine conk out because then they would have been simply adrift not far from the shore. It would have completely foiled Floyd and Bobby's plan.
0: It would have destroyed their entire scheme and probably led to their being caught and tried for at least the abduction, if not the murders of the Chillingworths.
1: Floyd followed the judge's instructions and got the boat running again.
0: Two or three miles offshore, Floyd stopped the boat. At that point, the Chillingworths had to know
1: that they weren't going to live much longer. So Floyd and Bobby started to attach the weighted cartridge belts around the Chillingworths. The judge and his wife exchanged I love yous, which must have been absolutely gut-wrenching. I can't even fathom what that must have been like to experience something like this with a loved one that you've spent your entire life with. He was 58 and she was 57. They'd been married almost 35 years, had three children, and all of that was about to come to an end. They were facing an unimaginable horror. Shortly thereafter, the killers threw Mrs. Chillingworth overboard. She submerged instantly.
2: So, who went on first, him or she? She. Goddamn, ladies first. How'd he take that? Did he tell you he liked? If you don't think he liked.
1: Upon seeing this, Judge Chillingworth didn't want to wait until the killers threw him overboard and somehow managed to get up, lurch forward, and jump into the ocean. Maybe it was because he wanted to control his own fate. Maybe he felt he could still save Marjorie, and obviously that was impossible at that point. Judge Chillingworth didn't sink immediately and was able to tread water because he was quite athletic for a man of 58 years old. So that distracted and concerned the killers. Bobby wanted to shoot the judge, but Floyd quickly advised him that it wouldn't be prudent because of the sound traveling over water. So he hit him over the head with a shotgun.
0: Then the two men took the spare anchor and wrapped the anchor line around the judge's neck and the weight of the anchor. Was too much for him. He went under quickly and disappeared into the darkness.
1: And that was the last time anyone ever saw the Chillingworths alive. On the way back, Bobby threw all the weapons and other incriminating evidence overboard. And they entered the Palm Beach Inlet and docked at the Riviera Beach Marina. Floyd told Bobby to wash the blood off the side of the boat. They got back around five o'clock in the morning, at which time Floyd went to a payphone and called Joe and said, the motor is fixed, which was code for the Chillingworths had been murdered. No other details, just simply that message.
2: I called him on the fucking telephone that morning and I told him, "You."
1: (laughs) went, Floyd dropped Bobby off at his home in Riviera Beach a few miles from the marina and he told Bobby to burn his clothes. Bobby entered his house without saying a word
0: to his wife, went straight to his bedroom, and stayed there for an entire day. In fact, Bobby laid low, very low,
1: for the next several days. Floyd burned his own clothes and then went home. The intensity of the investigation into the Chillingworth's disappearance was unprecedented. Police officers and detectives from every municipality dove into the case along with scores of deputies with the guidance of Palm Beach County Sheriff John Kirk. Coast Guard divers scoured the reefs off of Manalapan
0: on sea sleds.
1: Agents and deputies searched the ocean and the coastline in helicopters.
0: And a team of bloodhounds were brought in to try to track the abductors.
1: In the days that followed the disappearance, no meaningful clues materialized, though everyone had a theory.
0: Judge White, who'd been the only other Palm Beach County Circuit Court judge besides Judge Chillingworth, told a reporter that he thought his friends had simply been done
1: in by what he called fiends. Judge Chillingworth's judicial colleagues, the Palm Beach County Bar, wealthy admirers, and the Florida State Legislature offered a collective $250,000, or about $2.5 million today, to anyone who could provide information that led to the rescue of the Chillingworths or the apprehension of the people behind the crime. On the morning of June 17th, two days after the murders, Floyd met Tennant at the dock and asked him to fix the water pump on his boat. It appeared to Tennant that the boat had been beached with the motor running and it had sucked in a lot of sand. Tennant proceeded to fix it without inquiring how it happened.
0: Floyd realized how suspicious it could have looked. So a few nights later, Floyd ran into Tennant at a bar and made a point of telling him that he took in the sand when he ran aground on a sandbar off of Jupiter, which is north of West Palm Beach. Floyd said he'd been up in that area with a friend to pick up a load of moonshine. He
1: adamantly requested the tenant not
0: tell anybody
1: what had happened. A week later, law enforcement authorities had no idea what had happened to the Chillingworths after throwing all of their resources and all of their men at the case.
0: Which isn't surprising considering how Sheriff John Kirk and his deputies mishandled the investigation of the crime scene in Manalapan.
1: So what did Floyd do?
0: He decided to go fishing. Right. He hired Bill Tennant to take him, Joe, and Mary Bickford out to catch Snapper. So as Bill was chumming the water and Floyd was getting ready to toss his line overboard, Floyd glanced over at Joe and then casually asked Bill Tennant, who was an expert at everything related to the ocean, how deep the water was there and how deep it got further out into the
1: Atlantic. And Tennant said, well, we're over the third reef. Beyond this point, there's a steep drop-off in the depth of the ocean, and pretty quickly it goes down to about 100 fathoms, which means several hundred feet deep. Which means at the time it would have been virtually impossible to send divers down to look for the bodies. And that's exactly what Floyd wanted Joe to hear.
0: Most people, if they just committed the most notorious crime in the history of the state of Florida, would lay low. But Joe and Floyd did the complete opposite. Within a week of the Chillingworth murders, a few days after Bill Tennant's oceanography lesson, Floyd and Joe met for lunch at a restaurant in the north end of West Palm. They planned to not only maintain the bribery scheme that had been running swimmingly for many months, but also to launch their own Bolita operation and a bookmaking
1: enterprise. In the middle of their lunch, the owner of the joint waltzed in and announced that they'd found the Chillingworth bodies.
0: Joe froze and failed miserably to contain his utter horror at the news. But Floyd insisted that the guy didn't know what the hell he was talking about because no one would ever find the murdered couple. Floyd quickly got Joe to pull it together. And it turned out to be one of the hundreds of false leads and rumors that swirled around the Chillingworth case.
3: Dear Mr. and Mrs. Reich, Your greetings to Judge and Mrs. Chillingworth received... It is with regret that I inform you that sometime during the night of June 14th past, Judge and Mrs. Chillingworth disappeared from their home located on the ocean front, about 10 miles south of West Palm Beach. There were practically no clues, no signs of struggle, and we are as much in the dark now as to what happened as we were in the morning of June 15th when it was discovered they were missing. We can only assume that some person or persons may have had a grudge against the judge because of some decision in some case he tried and did away with them. Nothing has shocked this community or the state of Florida quite as much as this needless tragedy. They enjoy the respect and admiration of the entire state. June 14th marked the completion of 32 years on the bench as circuit judge, and the judge had been contemplating retirement. In fact, he had seriously considered retiring during 1955, but had made no definite decision on the matter. The Chillingworths have three daughters, but neither of them live here at the present time. Hence, I am writing you for them. Very truly yours, Secretary to Judge Chillingworth, Edna Trepp.
1: As Joe expected, Judge White didn't disbar Joe or anything close to what he was sure Judge Chillingworth would do. Judge White ordered a short suspension of Joe for the malpractice suit, the case that precipitated the death of Judge and Mrs. Chillingworth.
0: Joe believed that he'd realized the objective that led him to orchestrate Judge Chillingworth's murder. Judge White hadn't revoked his license to practice law, which he needed to sit as municipal judge. And in turn, to soak racketeers for money. But Joe hadn't envisioned how a second malpractice suit would obliterate his credibility as a magistrate in Palm Beach County, which it did. Not long after he was suspended, Joe faced this reality and resigned his judgeship. Floyd and Bobby had agreed to carry out the ghastly crime only because they believed the act would allow Joe to stay on the bench, which would allow them to continue to line their pockets.
1: Joe and Floyd now needed to devise and nurture a new grand scheme worthy of their ambitions.
0: In the meantime, they also launched their own bolita operation as well as the bookmaking enterprise, which they ran from the storeroom of an aquarium shop they'd run it both of the new
1: ventures churned out lots of dough. In the months following, there was no suggestion or inference that any one of them was behind the Tillingworth murders.
0: The West Palm Beach Police Department even hired a renowned investigator to immerse himself in the case, but he never comes close to figuring out that Joe Peel, who he crossed paths with all the time, orchestrated the crime.
1: In mid-1956, Floyd Holzapple and Sarah Jackson went on a double date with Sarah's aunt, Peggy Lawson, who was the same age as she was, and Peggy's date, Hal Gray.
0: Hal Gray was Joe Peel's law partner. He was a stout and broad-shouldered Midwesterner. Hal reportedly had dabbled in criminality before he became an attorney when he got involved in Joe's insurance fraud scheme.
1: Floyd's girlfriend, Mary Bickford, had moved away by that point and Floyd was playing the field.
0: Within a few weeks of that double date, Floyd had married Peggy. Peggy was just 19. She had moved down to West Palm Beach from a tiny North Georgia town less than a year before.
1: Hal Gray had really fancied Peggy, who looked like the sultry, chanteuse Julie London, a shapely, beautiful blonde.
0: Hal had gotten along with Floyd, up until Floyd wooed Peggy away from him with his rakish charm. Then Hal found out about Floyd's violent criminal past in Oklahoma, and he began to truly loathe the man. Hal told Joe to keep Floyd out of their law office whenever he was there.
1: Floyd considered Hal a foppish, judgmental snob. The festering ill will between his blue-blooded law partner and his rugged friend was a little awkward for Joe, but he managed to keep Floyd and Hal apart.
2: Racing fans gather to watch the famed walk-up start where three-year-olds and upward run over a mile and a half on turf.
0: Floyd's dad had taught him the craft of bookmaking when Floyd lived in L.A. as a teenager, and over the first several months, he operated his own book with Joe. The lessons his father had given him paid off handsomely.
1: So things were going great until a gambler from Fort Lauderdale laid down large wagers on several horses and chose the winner in all but one of the races. And an Australian ace is declared the winner.
0: The book hadn't generated enough cash to pay off the bets, so they were down $40,000 to the man. Even though their illicit enterprises were generating a lot of money over the course of a year, they didn't have $40,000 on hand. They just weren't very liquid.
1: But this man wasn't some Harvey Milk Toast accountant who got lucky. This man was connected to the largest crime syndicate in the Southeast.
0: The client was closely linked to Santo Traficante, whose vicious organization controlled the rackets in Tampa and ran a flourishing hotel and casino down in Havana. Not long before, an associate of Traficante had eliminated a rival by shooting him in the face with a shotgun over in Tampa.
1: So Floyd and Joe knew they couldn't simply not pay the lucky better.
0: Joe's solution was a classic, straightforward plot. He would take out a double-indemnity life insurance policy on Hal Gray and then kill his hapless partner.
1: Once again, Floyd was wary of Joe's plan to fix things with their creditor. But he didn't see any other way to come up with forty grand. He agreed to do it.
0: According to County Solicitor Chuck Nugent, this time Joe didn't ask Bobby Lincoln to participate in the heinous plot. He enlisted the help of his former client and friend, Jim Yenzer, an insurance agent.
1: Yenzer had allegedly pulled off a few petty crimes before, but nothing like this. Once again, Joe used his wiles to entice his morally ambiguous friend into something dark, very dark. Yenzer wrote out the policy on Hal Gray's life. Hal's name was forged, and Joe, Floyd, and Yenzer set the stage for yet another murder. As
0: the pressure from their mob-connected client intensified, incredibly, Joe assured the man that he didn't need to worry about getting the money because he and Floyd were about to collect 100 Gs on a life insurance policy.
2: I think Hal was pretty well liked. I don't know anybody that really had any problems with Hal. All the single ladies in town at that time, a lot of them anyway, belonged to a group called the Spinster's Cotillion. And uh, so Hal and I would be invited to a number of their parties along with all the other young bachelors in town.
1: Hal had a very active social life. When he wasn't throwing a party of his own, he was out on the town.
0: And he dated a lot of women in West Palm Beach over the years including the fetching Peggy Hull's apple, of course.
1: Peggy's husband Floyd, Joe Peel, and Yinzer devised an elaborate methodology for doing Gray in. The intent was to kill Gray and in the process create an alibi that would shield all three from prosecution.
2: Their plot was that they would go out to 20 Mile Bend by the Palm Beach Canal, and get a wash tub full of canal water, put it in the trunk of a car and they brought it back in. And then that they were gonna uh, beat up uh, Hal Gray and knock him unconscious and then drown him in that bucket of uh, tub of water. So he would have that canal water in, in his lungs and all and take his body back out and dump it in the canal. Their theory being that they would establish the time of death And, but they would say the cause of death was drowning in the canal. And at the time of death, they would all have alibis that they were in West Palm Beach. They were nowhere near the 20 mile bend. And that was their idea.
0: 20 mile bend was a slight jog in state road 80, a one lane highway that ran through farmland from West Palm Beach out to Bell Glade on Lake Okeechobee. 20 mile bend was about 20 miles west of West Palm Beach.
1: It's unclear why, but Joe agreed that Yenzer would carry out the first step of the process of killing Hal Gray, while Floyd and Joe waited in the wings to dunk Hal's head in a tub of water and drown him.
0: Joe scheduled Hal's murder for Wednesday, August 1st, 1956.
1: Yenzer, who knew Hal socially through Joe, showed up unannounced at Hal's apartment. Hal was relaxing, actually reading by himself on a rare quiet night at home. Yenzer told Hal he was heading out that night, but he didn't want to go all the way home to get ready. Would Hal let him take a shower at his place?
0: Hal invited Yenzer inside and went back to his newspaper. Yenzer slipped into the bathroom, pulled a brand new bar of soap from an overnight bag, and stuffed it into a sock.
1: The sock loaded with a bar of soap was the weapon Yenzer intended to knock Hal Gray out with seriously he crept up behind gray wound up the sock like a mace then swung it as hard as he could into hal's head
0: hal yelled and slouched down in his chair but he wasn't unconscious the following is from bill pruitt's account of the evening's events
2: when Yenzer said he hit him across the head with the sock it, that uh, hal just grabbed his head and turned around and says "What? what are you doing he said, <laughs> Yenzer said, well, there was a spider on your head. I wanted to kill it. And uh, Gray said, well, did I have to hit it so hard? So he figured he was talking about how hard uh, Hal's head was.
0: It's pretty amazing, but when Hal turned back around, Yenzer did the exact same thing. Hal slouched over again, but again wasn't knocked out. Yenzer insisted that he'd seen the resilient spider crawl back up Hal's neck. Hal screamed at Yenzer that he was calling the police, but before he did, he called
1: Joe to tell him that his friend had attacked him. Joe rose to the occasion somehow and convinced Hal that Yenzer suffered from shell shock or another mental condition as a result of his harrowing experiences in the war. He assured Hal that he'd take care of it and make sure Yenzer never came near him again. Hal agreed not to call the police, but kicked Yenzer out of his place.
0: Yenzer, completely out of sorts and desperate to finish Gray off, sped up to Riviera Beach and found Bobby Lincoln, according to Bobby. Yenzer knew of Bobby through Floyd and Joe, and he imagined Bobby to be a vicious crime lord. He pleaded with Bobby to help him kill Hal Gray that very
1: night. Bobby told Yenzer to get the hell away from him. He said, it might come as a surprise to you, but I don't go around killing innocent people. Joe's plot might have been sound, but he'd clearly picked the wrong member of his
0: team to put Hal Gray down. On the next attempt, a more seasoned killer would try to take out Hal.
2: They got the call. and I happened to be with Bill when they got the call. There were some problems down at the Chi Chi Club.
1: The Chi Chi Club, located in a freestanding two-story building on North Dixie Highway in West Palm Beach, wasn't the most sordid strip club in town. It stood directly across the street from a Dairy Queen. An evening at the club was
0: generally pretty peaceful. On one occasion a few years earlier, however, something truly horrible did take place there. A dancer at the club who was staying in one of the apartments management provided on the second floor was raped by a patron of the club after hours who had climbed through her window. He was caught and convicted of the assault. Judge Chillingworth gave him life in prison.
1: Now Joe had chosen the club as the venue for a second attempt on Hal Gray's life. The fundamentals of the murder plot remain the same. This time, Joe would ask Hal to visit a client with him one evening just before Christmas, 1956. Afterwards, as he and Hal were heading home, Joe suggested that they stop by the Chichi Club. The club had been closed for a few weeks because the city of West Palm Beach temporarily suspended its operating license.
0: As a ruse to lure Hal inside, Joe said that his clients, who owned the club, had told him to take as much booze and as many bottles of Coke as he wanted. Joe asked Hal to open the door for him. Hal opened the door and entered the club.
2: Floyd Hoseapple had gotten in a fight with uh, Hal Gray and uh, said that he beat him unmercifully, really, you know. As Harold walked in the door, suddenly he got hit in the head with a blackjack. The blow was not of sufficient force to knock Harold out, so Harold, to defend himself, tried to run away. And uh, this figure, who he knew was Hoseapple, was chasing him around the club and hitting him whenever he got close enough to him. And finally, he hit him, you know, pretty hard. I believe that Harold said he went down once, but he got hit at least five or six times by this blackjack. He never touched the blackjack, but the blackjack touched him.
0: That was Sheriff's Deputy Ralph Clark, and then Palm Beach County Solicitor Chuck Nugent.
1: A blackjack is a leather encased lead ball with a short strap that one can use to bash someone's head in.
0: And that's exactly what Floyd did. The very second Hal walked into the Chi Chi Club, Floyd began to shower him with insults as he whacked him over the head, over and over. Floyd was trying to bash Hal Gray's brains out. Jenserer called
1: the deal the gray matter. The blows definitely staggered Hal, but incredibly, they didn't knock him out. Joe's role was to step up behind Hal at some point and grab his arms from behind so that Floyd could have a clear shot at his extraordinarily hard head.
0: But Joe couldn't muster the will to stand Hal up. He never even touched Hal. As Hal cried out to Joe to get Floyd off him, Joe urged Floyd to leave Hal alone.
1: Floyd realized that Joe was calling off the operation, and Hal made his way towards the door, blood oozing from his scalp and skull. He pushed it open and staggered onto the street. Floyd knew it was all over at that point. Floyd watched stunned and enraged as Joe collected Gray and helped him into his VW Beetle. Floyd hadn't originally wanted to kill Gray, but once he'd agreed, he committed himself completely to the plan. He even became the principal architect of the homicide.
0: At that moment, Floyd must have been thinking, Joe's supposed to be helping me drown Gray in a tub of canal water backstage in the Chi Chi Club. Instead, he's saving that motherfucking weasel's life by whisking him off to the emergency room at Good Sam.
1: The talented physician who treated Gray was amazed when his patient didn't expire that night. He'd never seen anyone survive such severe head injuries.
0: A year and a half earlier, Joe had proven he had the wherewithal to end a man's life. Now he'd shown Floyd that he could only do it if he didn't have to be there when the hapless victim drew his final breath. Joe's queasiness, his abject failure to do to Hal Gray, what he'd insisted his friends do to Judge Chillingworth, had now put Floyd in a position where he'd be on trial for attempted murder in about two months, one mile south of the Chi Chi Club on Dixie Highway in the Palm Beach County Courthouse. Chillingworth was created by Texas Crew Productions and
1: Nighthouse Films. It's produced by John Moss, myself, Jonathan Payne, Rick Sikowski, and Brad Bernstein.